Okay. Uh, greetings, friends. It's Chapo back again. It's uh, Friday, February 11th, uh, 2022. Coming at you uh, a day later than usual. But, you know, we, ha- we have to make accommodations for our experts on the show. And the thing is, look, when it comes to expert commentary about two topics, there's a lot of uninformed speculation out there. There's a lot of people who didn't go to university, who don't know the, the, the issues, they don't know policy, and they're talking about Canada and Ukraine. And I want to be very clear that we will never have anyone on the show talk about either of these topics who has not majored in uh, double majored in Canada and Ukraine. So by virtue of that introduction, our guest for this week is Canada and Ukraine expert Dan Beckner back again. Hello. Hello. Thanks for having me on. folks. So, I mean, lots to talk about. Let's talk about on both both topics of Canada and Ukraine. But. I guess I'd just like to start uh, just like overall, probably like the, the, most, the most important issue right now. Canada has a new queen. Yes. The monarchy has been restored. She's beautiful. She drives an RV and she's in- instructing her subjects to uh, go to their local law enforcement, go to, the, go to the police department in whatever town they live in and deliver a cease and desist order. This is just like a royal writ, essentially. I mean, but what, what bloodline does she, does she hail from? I mean, what, what, is her, what is her sort of claim to the throne of Canada? Uh, I think it's a vibes-based claim. <laughs> <laughs> it's, a, it, it's a Queen Ramona. That, that's her name? Yes. Yes. Right, Queen uh, Ramona. Chris, Chris, would you just bring up Queen Ramona's proclamation to the people of Canada? I just want to just, just, uh, just spread this important information here. My fellow Canadians, my brothers and sisters, Baby boy, baby girl of the Kingdom of Canada. Baby boy, baby girl. U.S. and the world. I address you today as the Kingdom of Canada's Queen and Commander-in-Chief. <laughs> to let you know that as of 6 p.m. Ottawa time, February 5th, 2022, I have placed the Kingdom of Canada under (laughs) military rule. Yes, yes. Effective 6 p.m. Ottawa time today, martial law is in effect. Yes. Okay. Working right, class right. uprising, baby. <laughs> yes. Okay. Okay. And enough of Queen Ramona. But yes, if you are currently living in Canada, uh, martial law has been declared. If you are a member of the Canadian Armed Forces, either reserved or active, you are required to report to your um, comm- like commanding officer. You have to like report for duty. It's on. Martial law is declared. The monarchy of Canada has been restored. Queen Ramona is in charge. Truckers are in charge. She is also saying that uh, anyone who vaccinates children will be summarily executed. And anyone who's been following this, like the uh, QAnon Anonymous uh, has been following this for like six months or whatever. But on her Telegram channel, she's claiming that um, there are like thousands of summary executions happening a day. Like, oh, Canada's finally getting some of them. <laughs> you got so jealous watching us just summarily execute all of our sickos. <laughs> And you're like, we got to get in on that. Yeah, we need some and of you know that what? shit up here. And I'm saying, like, you know, like, uh, like Tom Hanks, 
been executed, been cloned, yep. done. But there's like there's so many Canadians in the American entertainment industry that are just sort of like sleeper agents. They need to be cloned <laughs> and executed. Queen Ramona is yep. going to take care of it. I'm and that's why Canada, Jim Carrey, why, Dan Aykroyd, you know, Mark for <laughs> yeah. death. All the kids in the hall. All of them. Scott okay. Thompson. Oh, oh, you, know, like, oh you, you think it's just an accident that Norm MacDonald just died a couple months ago? Yeah. yeah no, adorable no, if you no. That. Military trial. Queen Ramona presided over his beheading. That's right. Kablamo. No, but I mean, I mean, Queen Ramona, I mean, I guess she's uh, just sort of a, a, a figurehead or a, a you know, an, an, a grassroots organic social movement that has grown out of another grassroots organic working class movement. I am, of course, talking about the trucker protest. And, you know, we haven't talked about this on the show. I've read a lot of speculation about it. I've read a lot of uninformed commentary. But, I mean, here's the thing. Here's what you need to know about it. If you call yourself a leftist or a socialist, it is absolutely incumbent on you to stand in solidarity with what I must stress is an authentic grassroots working class uprising against capital. That's right. They're they're moving towards capital. Capital, you know, you if if you pay attention to Canada, um, you know that uh, you know that they're shook because like when uh, indigenous land defenders, for instance, like uh, block a pipeline, right? Like they're met with the full force of the Canadian military. They're met with um, you know hundreds of RCMP officers in fifty thousand dollars worth of counter counterinsurgency tactical gear, right? But now you can tell with this with this authentic working class uprising in Ottawa that the government is so scared that they're not sending those people in. They're too they're too scared. And like, here's the thing. A lot of people are saying like, oh, like the the truckers, like this is just like an astroturf, like right wing, uh, you know, like like similar to the Tea Party or January 6th or QAnon. And it may seem that way because the people who uh, promote it and take part in it. Um, talk, seem, and act like you know uh, QAnon, January Six people, and like mm -hmm. the, whatever complaints that they do have do seem to be overwhelmingly right wing. But let me ask you this: If this w wasn't an authentic left wing protest and uprising against capital, why? Okay, if if it was, if that isn't the case, then how come the this current trucker protest movement doesn't really have any like demands about? wages collective bargaining workplace safety doesn't really have any serious like doesn't have any really like actual concrete demands or asks to be made of the government okay that's one number two if this wasn't a left-wing protest then why is it ineffective and hated by virtually everyone in canada yeah yeah i mean why, if this is if this isn't a left-wing protest why is the teamsters union um loudly proclaiming that uh they everyone needs to get vaccinated <laughs> to but do like, their okay, job so like yeah, I mean this. So, like, what they're they're camped out in Ottawa right now, in what really seems to me kind of like right wing chaz. Like, like that. That's what the the trucker protest seems like to me. We're calling it Faz. It's a uh, uh, Parliament Hill Autonomous Zone. <laughs> and you know, we invented chaz on this show, so obviously we support Faz. Um, but yeah, like so. So this has been going on for like uh, about how long? Like a month, a month or a couple of weeks or a month or something? Like how did how did the trucker protest start? And like what is it? It like the genesis of it is essentially vaccine mandates, right? Like, but what? But the, I mean, I was talking, I was like trying to say like they don't really. But like, what is the ask here? Like, what are they demanding? Is it no just more like, masks? They want to go. They want to go to Earl's and not have to wear a mask. They want to go to. Uh, they want to go to like mid price family dining restaurants and not have to have a mask on, and they don't want to get vaccinated. And uh, they want to they want to be free to uh, ride their machines and hang out on their Telegram channels. You know, yeah, I mean, that's about it. Like like you said, they don't really have any coherent 
political demands and the idea that this is being framed as like a fucking uh, revolt against capital is is really funny because you know a lot of these people are owner operators uh you know the union has come <laughs> come out against them and I, it is kind of interesting to, to think about like that there was a similar like truckers figuring out that the the, the tools of their job can be used to uh stymie capital has has like some precedent going back to the 1970s in in america you know um Matt, we're gonna have Matt on on my show next week to talk about this, but but just briefly, like you know, after the Yom Kippur War, uh, you had a lot of independent truckers uh, getting getting hammered with like high gas prices and a uh, nationwide mandate that they could only drive fifty five miles an hour. So they realized that they could they could take their rigs and fucking gum up the interstates. They could block interstates. They could block transport, and they got into like a almost a decade long war with their union counterparts in the in the teamsters you know this fucking protest is uh has less to do with uh material conditions than that does this is also very vibes based well i mean i think what it is is i think all of the different streams of mass protests that we've seen on both sides of the border in the last <clears throat> couple of years are different groups of people different demographic slices of the population reacting to the complete failure of the government to do its job yeah. uh, in an, in a emergency situation, the kind of thing that the government is designed to be able to handle and just manifestly failed to do. Uh, and then the shape of those protests are determined by the culture that the people who are feeling this frustration uh, are steeped in. And when they go out and protest, uh, what ends up really directing things and 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 leaving a lasting legacy is money. Yes, because absent real uh, meaningful disciplined political organization, which we don't have on either side of the border for regular people, uh, the only consistent director of effort is going to be uh, people who are getting paid, people who whose eyes are on the bag, and they're the ones who are going to be the most uh, dedicated. They're going to be the ones who are going to be uh, most influential because that money is going to have that it, it's its own centrifugal force that's going to pull everything towards it. Uh, but either way, it's it's what happens when a, a depoliticized and, and non-class conscious uh, country uh, tries to articulate somehow their deep alienation from a government that just has failed to do any kind of effective uh, remediation of a crisis. Uh, and specifically, like, I think some people are wondering, like, God damn, how come these Canadians are going ham like this? And I, and I think part of it is that if you think of Canada, it's essentially America. If Obama never left office. Yes. <laughs> like, Amen. like imagine if the entirety of the pandemic had happened under the white O'Bungler. Yeah. I mean, we'll and so that you don't have the sort of like a cathartic valves that, uh, you know, right wingers in America had cultural right wingers in America had when Trump was president. It's just been the face of the the blackened face of uh, Justin Trudeau <laughs> presiding over this failure. Yeah. So and I of mean, of course, like that's that those are the people who are going to uh, eventually decide enough is enough. I mean, we'll get to this. We'll get to her uh, in a different context later. But our minister of finance, Christy Freeland, is uh, an 
excellent example of like Obama style policymaking in that, you know, she has been responsible for a lot of the pandemic, the financial response to the pandemic. And it's very telling that the first people she contacted were the CFIB, who are a collection of small business interests uh, in Canada. You know, that those were the people she went to to be like, what does the working class need? This fucking union busting, you know, people who honestly, like class wise, kind of represent the bulk of the convoy. I mean, like, and, you know, like Matt, like what you were saying about like the sort of centrifugal force of money. I mean, we see this borne out in, you know, in protest movements in this country that are like, you know, not uh, coded as being right wing or hated by the right wing. I mean, look at the reporting that New York Magazine just put out about Black Lives Matter. Yeah, and just like sixty million dollars. <laughs> it's just like it's just like it's just like this Hoover for money that like of, of virtually no accountability of which like this small cadre of like leaders has like completely cashed out on without you know accomplishing anything. And like you know like if you if you read. Um, like the words of these, like the, the the trucker convoy people, and I mean, the words you read are like those carefully selected to provide the most, like you know, positive viewpoint to a liberal audience. Like uh, Dan, you just sent me like a. There's a piece in Barry Weiss's Substack about like, <laughs> oh, he's just like, oh, you're gonna call these people racist? Like many of yeah. them are are you know not even white. Uh, and like, and like, a lot of them are it? claiming, like, you know, they're saying, oh, like, we're not anti-vax, like, we're vaccinated now. But if you read it, like, you know, their complaints are like the things that they say they're protesting against is like, in, you know, in a vacuum, like, totally sympathetic. It's just like the, like, you know, uh, unnest, like, just like the failure of the government to like uh, provide or make anyone's lives better, like the their feelings of powerlessness and just the general shitty condition and worsening condition of everyday life. Same with mm-hmm. you know. Chaz or Black Lives Matter, you know, you can like look at any of the like the, the problems that they say they're protesting and like who, who could not be sympathetic. But like, you know, the, the, the end outcome result of it and the people in charge of it are like are, are not in any way like either like know what they're doing or are really like um, uh, seeking to alleviate these problems. And in like they, in the trucker protests, like specifically, like the people who are like funding it and backing it for the most part are like come from like. Are like you know anti-union oligarchs like they're specifically yes. trying to destroy unions and like working class people and build pipelines like you know just bulldoze indigenous lands to build pipelines across canada i mean all you need to do is look at some of these telegram channels or even just photographs of like some of the rigs you know where it's it's just like these people have been brain poisoned by generations of anti-communist propaganda so on one hand you've got it's very seductive to look at this protest as a leftist because, you know, being so alienated from the ability to get even close to the levers of power, right? So it's exciting. It's exciting to see the capital get shut down. But you have to be clear-headed and you have to look at what these people are saying and the iconography that they're using. And a lot of them, almost to a man, are talking about Justin Trudeau being a fucking communist, right? <laughs> Which is hilarious. Because like Matt, as you said, the Trudeau administration is like if Obama never left office. so Yeah, the communist uh, Barry Hussein Obama. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and, like, you know, that's totally unfair. I mean, the sins of the father, Justin Trudeau's father was a communist revolutionary. That's not him, right. That's okay? right. He's a, he's a goddamn liberal, okay? He took he's a different like path. Dad. Doesn't fall far from the tree there. <laughs> Papa Fidel. Like. Another thing I, I have to bring up as an aside is that, you know, uh, something that, has been inflected on uh, Canadian media consumers since uh, Hillary lost the election is that Russia and now 
the the line is more China is uh, subverting our democracy in Canada with uh, Facebook posts, right? Like that is the biggest threat to Canadian democracy. And and a lot of journalists in Canada uh, pivoted to becoming disinformation experts after uh, 2016. Same you know? same here, yeah. <laughs> they, got, they got that bag. And uh, it's just funny to me that there is an actual protest that is being funded by foreign capital outside of the country that is having massive like structural and material effects on on the capital, and none of these motherfuckers could predict it. They were just like, "Oh yeah, we've we've got it. We're we're doing OSINT. We're doing Humint. We we're we're we're, <laughs> de- we're, we're fucking decrypting shit. Like uh, the the People's Republic of China is like is is like in your Canadian tire bucks, you know. But they couldn't predict this fucking thing. And I think it's it, it it's something we covered on Bottleman." when we were talking about the uh, the last election here and the People's Party of Canada, which is that Canadian media and politicians absolutely fucking failed to assess QAnon properly. They just, they just fucking blew it, you know? Well, I mean, to be clear, the foreign capital you're talking about supporting this protest and undermining Canadian society is just American. Yes, <laughs> yes it is. <laughs> That is why America needs to, uh, needs to make up for their past sins and they need to drop... Uh, thousands of tons of napalm on the ambassador bridge right now we've got a well, was it okay so like yeah like they're they're camped out on the ambassador bridge which connects uh, detroit and windsor and yeah like you know it, 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 it's hard to watch this and not have a certain part of yourself um uh, uh, uh cheer on someone fucking over you know the economy that badly but like yeah. uh chris didn't you say matt iglesias was literally calling for the marines to be deployed to open up because <laughs> like 25 percent of all trade that takes place between america and canada comes across that bridge so yeah now that these guys are camped out there iglesias ooh, he's going through treat withdrawal and he's like send in the send in eddie gallagher ooh, you know they want Canadian and sugar yeah let's you, finish the job william hole started in 1812 look let's fucking do this it's never made sense that canada's its own country that we didn't take it yeah honestly we got just got distracted by other shit and now we can like focus on what matters we're, we're shutting down the empire right we're out of afghanistan now and it's time to to Recommit to our original imperial dream, which was taking fucking Canada. That's okay. right. I think baby. we can do Canada, it now. Canada. I think we could do it now. Canada, second largest country in the world by landmass. Yep. Second largest so in the world. So much soft timber. If just if America <laughs> so takes much over, sense. so much water. So if America, so much water. Oh my god. If we take over the second largest country in the world, then the United States of America and Canada will be the largest country in the world. Take that, Russia yep. and China. That's right. No, no contests. We're now number one in every every category except for, you know, life expectancy. Yes. And I know I know the people for the job. Ambassador Bridge, Detroit. Who lives in Detroit? Big Hudson Brothers. Big, <laughs> big Hudson boys. Get those Hudson Brothers, deputize them, make them special ops, get them up on the bridge. Kablamo. Problem solved. And I, mean, I mean, but the problem is, though, we're going to have to deal with the queen. Right. Well, I mean... She's kind of just a figurehead, like. You know. <laughs> well, she okay, we can, she we can is keep really her, no, good at public speaking, though. So, no, like, like for America to take over Canada, like to like to to quell you know civil unrest, like we will, you know, it, it's sort of like when when like the Dole Pineapple Company took over Hawaii. You know, we can leave like a symbolic, <laughs> uh, we leave a symbolic queen in charge of the Canadian monarchy, but all you know, we'll let her. We'll let her just think that the American troops are. The ones that she called for the martial law. <laughs> I, yeah. I think that like, would we're work. here. We're here. 
Oh, your and majesty to enforce the martial law <laughs> with the 82nd Airborne. And Canada like, reporting oh, for, du- for duty, Queen. And it's, attention, Canadian citizens who are, you know, subjects of Queen Ramona or, you know, uh, violent insurgents. You will be put under martial law. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> You're going under martial law. We've cleaned so, I mean, the pedos out of the uh, deep underground military bunkers, and now you will be put to work mining Bitcoin for a queen. Uh, well, I don't make the rules. America does now. And the queen. Uh. So yeah, like uh, so. Uh, moving on from the uh, uh, the truck, the the we got a great big convoy. Um, uh, the, the the other country in question, and like you know, we've had you on in the past to talk about the curious relationship between Ukraine and Canada, and your finance minister, minister yes. <laughs> and Ukraine specifically. But you know, uh, U- Ukraine now things are heating up there, and I guess like uh, to begin, I want to talk about like Dan. What do you make of like there does seem to be like this kind of split between the way the U.S. and the United Kingdom are reacting to like this, this Ukraine situation. And by reacting, I mean doing everything possible to play up this idea that like Ukraine is a, like, a day away from being a full-scale invaded by the Russian military. Yes. And our other NATO allies, like Germany in particular, who, you know, uh, they, they look at Ukraine and they're like, well, you know, like our natural gas has to run through there. Like, you know, it's, there's a, a win-win it's the situation. It's the middle of winter. Uh, yeah germans like to be toasty you know (laughs) (laughs) and the thing is like uh like i think the u.s and uk like we started this this narrative that like you know these russian troops on the border this has never happened before it literally happens every fucking year around this it does they did fucking military exercises last year and there was and everybody seems to have forgotten that there was like a huge brouhaha about these uh military exercises but the thing is is that there's been a civil war since Maidan in Ukraine, right? Like, you have uh, Donetsk, People's Republic, and, and Lukonsk. And I always think, like, if Juarez separated from Mexico and was having an ongoing civil war with, like, other countries bringing in armaments, you know, javelin missiles, for instance, or Bayraktar drones, the United States would fucking roll tanks in immediately. Like it is, it is extremely unstable, and uh, it's it's just it just makes sense that there would be like security issues on the Ukrainian border, and you know, like the, that's the one Ukraine, facet of it. Like, and the Ukraine government has like uh, they initially played into this like the, the the this war fervor because yeah, then they get like a huge arms shipment, they get a lot of international sympathy and sort of uh, press for their their cause well, and this idea of Russia as the aggressor. But the thing is, like, they've pulled back on it now because yes. Like, their investment is, is fleeing the country. Yeah, their yes. economy is tanking because you can't advertise to the world that like tomorrow uh, Russia, one of the biggest militaries in the world, is going to invade our country and then not have yes. their fucking economy tank. Yes, and and an interesting thing is that at the beginning of this like latest whatever you want to call it conflict, there was a, a Defense Department white paper that got published about the the inevitable invasion of Ukraine by Russia. And um, it started circulating. There were news articles about it. And the Ukrainian government initially thought it was Russian disinformation before they knew the source of it. They were like, oh, this is just Russian disinformation. They're trying to psych us out. There's no way they're going to invade. And then they got their marching orders, essentially, and were told, no, this is the new narrative. Uh, Russia is going to invade Ukraine, and you got to get with the program. And that 
sort of coincided with them being up for another very large IMF loan. They got with the program, they got the loan, but then war fever essentially devalued their currency to the point where the loan is uh, just balanced out. It's worthless now. So, and another interesting thing that like um, is that like I, I was I wasn't aware of this. Uh, Ukraine is the only East, is the only Eastern European country that has not uh, has not achieved the same level of GDP that they had in 1990. It's yeah. like the only country of like like these former Soviet states whose economy is shrinking steadily. Yeah, like as compared there, to like you know Poland or, or or other countries that are like on their own now. I mean, there are a lot of articles. You'll read a lot of articles about you know like a brave 51 year old medic named Marta Yuskiv who's ready to take up arms and uh, defend her country against uh, against against Russian invasion. You know, uh, articles about people putting together stay behind networks. But on my show, I've I've been I've had a couple of episodes with the Ukrainian journal, journalist Peter. Kolotayev. And the take from inside Ukraine is that what people care about is fucking wages and stability, you know? Like like and I, I think there's a good example here. There's uh the one of the minute the minister of railways, this guy Sergei Leschenko. He's a Stanford educated uh what they call in Ukraine grant eater. He's like, you know, Stanford educated NGO backed uh 30-something-year-old guy who's married to uh, this woman, DJ Nastia, who, after after getting his position, was... Is she an actual uh, DJ, or is that she, just her name? No, she's she's an actual DJ. After, getting, yeah. after getting his position at this ministry, he was immediately embroiled in a multi-million dollar fraud scandal uh, surrounding an apartment that he and DJ Nastia bought with uh, ill-gotten gains, apparently. So, like, he's the, he's, he's the advisor to the minister of of railways he makes tens of thousands of euros a month so you can contrast that guy with uh, a trade unionist that that peter interviewed for uh for a leftist outlet in in ukraine who makes 290 euros a month who is a, a who is who's been working with trains you know his entire life is a labor organizer thank you and, for your service yeah yeah and and you know i think that's just illustrative of like there's a small narrow band of ukrainians who have benefited from maidan and then there's everyone else well i want to i want to talk about the um like genuinely insane blowback from this level of corruption in the ukraine as it regards the united states but i'm wondering if you saw uh, earlier this week the hilarious um gaff uh done by the uk foreign minister liz truss when she was yes. uh, she met Lavrov. to negotiate with Lavrov, the, the Russian foreign minister, Sergei Lavrov. And uh, so, like, Liz Truss is, like, I mean, once again, like, upper-class twit of the year. I mean, these the, the, the people at Boris Johnson's government or, like, the UK government just in general, labor or conservative or whatever, basically all have the brains of, like, cocker spaniels because they're so Nobody does inbred. it better than the brains. Yeah, <laughs> they are so inbred and, like, they're, they're just they're drooling through their fucking overbite. And uh, in, in their negotiation... I think the word twit, twit, you know? <laughs> like, that's a great British invention to describe a certain type of British person. They're just fucking twits, like... So, I'm just reading here, uh, the Kremlin on Friday cited a geographical gaffe by British Foreign Secretary Liz Truss as an example of how poorly informed Western leaders were about the subject matter in the east-west standoff over ukraine britain dismissed the comments as propaganda and said trust had simply misheard russian foreign minister sergey lavrov during a meeting 
<laughs> Russia's uh, Commerçant newspaper quoted two diplomatic sources as saying during their closed-door meeting on Thursday, Lavrov had asked Truss if she recognized Russian sovereignty over Rostov and Voron... Uh, Voronaz, two regions in the south of the country where Russia has been building up. Commerçant said Truss replied that Britain would never recognize them as Russian and had to be corrected by her ambassador. So like he, like he, he, like he, like he caught her out by saying, like, do you recognize Russia's sovereignty over these territories that everyone recognizes as Russia, not Ukraine? And she said, we will never recognize their sovereignty. And the UK ambassador had to correct her in the meeting to say that, no, no, we do recognize Russian sovereignty over those territories. Look, uh, she was... She was enthusiastic. Has anyone done a study on the long-term effects of British people eating post-war Russian cuisine, like tinned meat and shit? Like maybe, <laughs> maybe it's like lead poisoning. You know, maybe it's a HMS terror type situation going on here. I mean, we got to remember these people were all eating beef in the late '90s in England. And it's, it takes about 20 years for a Kreutzfeld Jakob to start showing uh, uh, symptoms. I think you're going to see the English get real wacky in the next very few uh, coming years, even more so than usual. Because, yeah, like these guys were all just eating their fucking good British beef while the beef was littered with mad cow disease. And, and like, yeah, like uh, they, they've got uh, Elon Musk's boring company working its way through their brains. Yes. <laughs> um, but to the, to the example that I was uh, talking about talking about earlier, um uh, Dan, could you talk about the the example of this uh, Ukrainian oligarch who has, through shell companies, become one of the largest land real estate owners in the Midwest of America? Yeah, yeah. So this is uh, Koyla Moisky. Uh, he's he's a pretty big player in Ukrainian politics. He's one of several competing oligarchs, all of whom, most of whom, have uh, their own paramilitary. So, like in Koyla Moisky's case. He is one of the primary backers of Azov Battalion, the guys we all know and love. Uh, they're out there. Just, know, a, just a reminder for <laughs> our listeners, uh, could, you, could you describe just briefly who the Azov Battalion is? Azov Battalion uh, are a group of uh, paramilitaries who have been, um, who have been engaged in combat in, in Ukraine's east, you know, trying to uh, bring these separatist, uh, mostly Russian-speaking uh, provinces to heel. And their ideology is uh, indistinguishable from uh, Ukrainian nationalist and Nazi collaborator Stepan Bandera. So they like to use things like the wolf's angle, you know, normal shit like that. Sometimes they'll have like uh, at the SS death's head uh, on, on their patches. Our, our military, Canada's military, has been uh, training them to be good boys, you know. That's Canada's as, military has been they've sent military advisors over there. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So so Canada, since Maidan, has had this thing called Operation Unifier, which is the brainchild of our uh, absolutely right wing diaspora. It, it was basically an all party consensus in Canada that we would spend a billion dollars helping Ukraine out after Maidan um, because the diaspora here really wanted this, you know, sort of old nationalist dream of an ethnically pure democratic Ukraine that is free of uh, socialist brainworms to succeed, which it did not. But we did spend a billion dollars uh, sending troops over and giving material supply and, and training these fucking paramilitaries. Uh, to put, put a pin in this conversation for just one second, I would just like to take this moment to acknowledge that while we were recording, uh, Chris has just received from YouTube our official plaque 
for 100,000 subscribers. Hey! I, I would like to thank everybody who made this possible. Um, I would like to thank the fans, first of all. I would like to thank, uh, of course, uh, the Dry Boys and Amber for so much great content. Uh, I would like to thank for everybody who believed in me. Um, this is for you. This is for the content. Content all is right. king. Uh, back, uh, back to um, a neoliberal blowback from corruption in the Ukraine. So, yeah. uh, so, so, like, okay, so the the oligarch who has been funding what is essentially a, a neo-Nazi paramilitary um, in Ukraine has is also been in, like at the head of what has been described as the history's biggest Ponzi scheme. Yes, and with that money, like the way to like hide and move around money, of course, one of the best ways to do that is real estate. And uh, through a number of cutouts, like over the last like, you know, like years or whatever, like these like shadowy networks have been um, buying up property in these like depressed former factory towns all over the Midwest. Like in like and and there's a political article about um, one town in particular, Harvard, Illinois, Mm -hmm. where like uh, they, they like they buy up these factories and like promise, of course, economic revitalization. And, you know, bringing jobs to the community. Everyone loves that. But what really happens is, like, they buy up these huge amounts of property, like, with the, like saying that they're going to convert them into, like, working factories again. The, the ones that have been converted into anything that actually works are Bitcoin mining operations. But, like, essentially, they are, yes. ho- they are continuing to, like, vulture, like, hollow out these already economically depressed towns by buying up these property and just sucking money out of it to use it as a front for their money, massive, massive international money laundering operations. And damn, like you've referred to this as like the Ukraine, the Ukraineization of the American Midwest. Yeah, it's blowback. It's absolutely blowback. Like, I just want to I want to read a quote from um, this guy, Scott Graytalk, who's an advocacy director for uh, Transparency International, um, which is a nonprofit that tracks corruption. And he's talking about Koylamoisky's investments, massive investments in Cleveland, and how, how it was possible for this money to be moved to the United States with no questions, you know, all these properties to be bought up. And he says, it's happening in middle America. That's what's moving the needle. No one is looking here. It is a new front, a new global front in how money laundering is used. So, yeah, yeah, that's essentially it. And the, the article goes on to detail that the way Kolomoisky and Optima, his his company, managed to pull this off is through endemic corruption at the municipal, state, and federal level in the United States. Kolomoisky himself is a product of brutal neoliberal reforms in post-independence Ukraine, you know? Like that's how he became an oligarch. And now he and now the conditions in America, at least in the Midwest, are uh Right for him to be able to do what he's been doing for the last couple of decades in Ukraine in America. And like what that is, is I'm just going to read quickly from the uh, Politico article here. Uh, just one, one graph here it says, as the Justice Department alleged in a series of civil forfeiture cases, this Optima family plowed hundreds of millions of dollars into an investments in state after state, commercial real estate in Cleveland and Dallas and Louisville, steel factories in West Virginia and Kentucky and Ohio, production plants in Michigan and New York and Indiana. Time and again, these investors swooped in, pledging jobs, revitalization, revitalization and a lifeline for towns watching their economic life bud dry up. In just a few years, the Optima family collected over a dozen mills plants and other facilities across the American heartland. All of them had fallen victim to America's years-long manufacturing slump, part of the broader deindustrialization that began in the 70s. All of them were eager for any injection of financing they could get and for any promise of a brighter future. 
And according to prosecutors, these purchases were all directly connected to a powerful steel and banking tycoon in Ukraine who was buying American properties to hide stolen money. And like, again, like needless to say, this economic revitalization and our jobs did not appear for any of these communities. And in fact, they are further, even further ravaged than they were before this guy bought up all their land. Of course. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, on Ukraine as well, I have to say, like, the country of the Ukraine owes Canada a big thank you in that we have uh, a multi-generational family here that has been helping direct Ukrainian democracy since the 1930s, starting with uh, our finance minister's grandfather, who started a small newspaper in Krakow uh, with some big backing from some Germans. Uh, and, you know, they... <laughs> And they, that newspaper helped Ukrainians figure out who was Jewish in their neighborhood. <laughs> and then, you know, okay, whatever. That project didn't work out so great. Uh, but then later on, his daughter arrives in 1990, Helena, uh, Helena Freeland, and helps Ukraine figure out how to be capitalist by writing their fucking constitution. And at the same time, her brother is helping the brave farmers of Ukraine figure out how to make money off their uh, off their collective land by privatizing it, which is great. And then now, a couple of weeks ago, the granddaughter, Christia, our finance minister, is helping Ukraine's judiciary decide who to put in jail and who not to put in jail. Because she called fucking the president of the Ukraine, she called Zelensky and told him, uh, hey, that that former president Poroshenko that you're planning to charge with high treason, don't jail him. Otherwise, money tap turns off. So you're so, yeah, welcome. No, you're welcome, so the, yeah, Ukrainians. The, on, on that issue uh, specifically, uh, Canada, I'm just this is from the Globe and Mail. Canada moved to stop arrest of former Ukrainian president Petro Poroshenko, sources say. Uh, so who was Poroshenko and like why is Canada intervening on his behalf? Poroshenko was a post-Maidan president. and. Um, He's got like limited popularity within Ukraine, but one of the biggest issues with Ukraine right now is this sort of internal jockeying for power. Uh, Zelensky is charging him with high treason uh, in a case of, it essentially has to do with uh, coal extraction in the East. Who knows whether it's real or not, but what is real is that our fucking finance minister, not, not the prime minister, the finance minister calls the president of Ukraine and says, don't put this guy in jail. And I think personally, so Zelensky is deeply unpopular with, uh, let's say, the more uh, Bandera-pilled right-wing reactionary diaspora here. He's been unpopular since he was elected. Is it because he's Jewish? Who can say, you know? (laughs) Uh, Poroshenko is their guy. And Poroshenko Poroshenko was, was featured on CBC recently, our national broadcaster. They just uncritically had this guy who's being charged with high treason on to explain Ukraine to Canadians. Not the president of Ukraine, but the ex-president who's being charged with high treason. So Poroshenko's our man, and Freeland is making sure that Ukraine is uh, doing democracy correctly, you know? Isn't it cool that Canada can have a country that they have a special relationship with, you know? (laughs) America, we have a couple countries that we have special relationships with, but you know, Canada and Ukraine, you know, I think there's a that's a partnership that uh, is gonna, you know, that's gonna last well into the future. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just Never just real quick cool. though, uh, one thing I do like about um, the Ukraine discourse is that you can't say the Ukraine; you have to say Ukraine. And yeah, they like, get, they get it, really like, mad about that. Yeah, is, is that because when you say Ukraine, uh, like when you say the Ukraine, 
it like implies that the Ukraine is like a region of Russia rather than Ukraine as its own like distinct country. Like if I started saying that I'm from Upper West Side instead of the Upper West Side, like it's because I believe the uh, Upper West Side is an autonomous region in Manhattan and New York City that is like its own borough. And to say the Upper West Side implies that it's like part of New York City and not something different. Well, you need to you need to start a, a reactionary splinter group to detach the Upper West Side from the rest of New York, and then and then expand Upper West Side into the Greater Upper West Side, which will encompass <laughs> which will encompass Brooklyn. Central Park, Central yeah. Park, Brooklyn, yeah, all the, the way. The to upper, I just know if you call it the Ukraine, they will smash your risk board. <laughs> so don't do that. But they'll flip it right over. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, okay, so like. Speaking probably to move into the uh, the third part of the show, you know, I have a reading series here for us today, and you know, like it, it's about the, the you know a, a, an even more bird's eye view of like the the issue we're talking about as it regards Ukraine and this like sort of insane kayfabe on both sides where like you know Russia is doing their military exercises and then Ukraine along with you know the the U.S. and the U.K are trying to, like, you know, gin up this idea that, like, war could happen at any moment. And, you know, it, it's a tense situation. I mean, like, it, it's not all fake. I mean, like, there, there's a lot of guns pointing at each other. But, like, essentially, if you are in favor of this situation and would like to see it escalate further, you are often dismissed with the slur, warmonger. Ooh. And that is, the, that is the subject of today's reading series. Not which cool, comes. Man. Which comes courtesy of longtime Chapo favorite James Kerchick. Old Jamie Kerchick is back to his wily tricks. And the thing is, I haven't thought about Jamie Kerchick in like two or three years. years. In years. In years. And like that's a, that's a name I haven't heard for a long time. And like, like we, he, yeah, this is like the the Eli Lake era. This is this is ancient history. This is Chapo Mark One. And like I yeah. he, he came back on my radar because he had a piece in like tablet or something the other week that was just this like sort of like uh gossipy bitch fest about how his former friend Sorab Amari used to attend drag queen brunches with him in DC and loved it. <laughs> and now it's just yeah. like it was all about how like he was friends with Sorab when they were all just good neoconservatives who wanted to wage war against the entire world. But now that Sorab has sort of converted to someone who only wants to wage war against America, in America, against drag queens specifically, mm-hmm. it, him and Jamie have had a big a bit of a falling out. But I think what's really going on here is that like the Sorabs of the world, uh, they're riding the crest of a high and beautiful wave right now. And Jamie <laughs> and Eli Lake and guys like that yeah. have been washed. They've been, and that's why I haven't thought about them in years. No one gives a shit. No one like gives no one a fuck anymore, any Jamie. Your interest in your imperial dreams. <laughs> yes, you could throw from into this group as well. Like from yeah. bad guys. Jamie can't even get a gig on MSNBC. Like, like you know, everyone now understands on the right everywhere that the bad guys that they w- are worried about are inside the house. They don't give a shit about uh, any projects overseas. Yeah, like the, the right purify the national body. We have to expel yeah, yeah. the toxins. Like they they don't believe in the war on terror anymore. They believe in the culture war, and they mean that in a very literal sense. Yes, yes. <laughs> they they want to deploy American troops to stop drag queen story time from happening. Yes, they would. They would drop a bunker buster on a public library if they knew that there was a gay person inside talking to kids. Counterinsurgency yeah. operation on brunch everywhere. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. So, so, uh, and so, so, like, but uh, so that Jamie popped onto my radar again because of that. But he, but, he, but he does have a quite, quite an op-ed in, in uh, this week's L.A. Times titled "Who Are You Calling a Warmonger?" <laughs> <laughs> 
So the gauntlet is thrown down by Jamie, and let's just, uh, let's just see what he has to say here. So it begins, uh, <coughs> d- do you believe that economic sanctions are necessary to prevent the Iranian government from obtaining nuclear weapons? I, I believe Iran <laughs> should have a nuke. <laughs> yeah, no. I'm, yeah, exactly. Like, uh, I, I, I hope they're not preventing the Iranian government from obtaining nuclear weapons, but you do you. Uh, also, do you believe that small Eastern European democracies living in the shadow of an aggressive Russia ought to have the choice to join a defensive military alliance? He's, you also he's believe- talking about Moldova <laughs> joining NATO. Yeah. Do you also believe that democracy promotion and the protection of human rights should be at the forefront of American foreign policy? Jamie, I've always believed that. He's he's a Johnny come lately to the idea that human rights should be at the forefront of American foreign policy. But, you know, I believe him. So if so, you have probably been called a warmonger. It's a favorite of the isolationist alt-right and the burgeoning equally isolationist dirtbag left. I mean, oh my this is funny. Like, God, I've, I haven't thought about Jamie in three or four years now, but like, I, I guess he's still the fact that he is using the term dirtbag left in 2022. Yeah, is really an evidence of how far he's fallen, because it's like, Jamie, like you won, dude. Yeah, like, like you like what? Like, we the threat that we propose has been defused entirely. These We've, guys, got, we've you've been got, compromised <laughs> to a permanent yeah. end. Yes. Like, uh, you've gotten everything you want. Winning. They love yes. to cry when they win. Yes. They, because he, he's it, won. Because they can win. They're still Jamie Kerchick, though. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. When you wake up and <laughs> look at the mirror, that. you are still David Frum. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, you're right. This is uh, He's gotten everything he wants. Is still unhappy with the result. He said... Of course, the traditionalist left doesn't shy away from it either. The rest of the world almost unanimously looks at America as the number one warmonger, says Jimmy Carter, who has been used as the who had used the epithet to describe Senator John McCain, a man who knows the cost of war better than most. So, like, he's going in on the dirtbag left and Jimmy fucking Carter. (laughs) History's greatest monster. (laughs) Yes, history's greatest monster. And he's saying, like, uh, yeah. Uh, Jimmy Carter called Senator John McCain a warmonger, a man who knows the costs of war better than most. He does know the costs of war better than most because he's really fucking bad at doing war. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so obviously he would bear the cost of it the most. But I just love this idea that he goes down the list. He's like, uh, yeah, I've been called a warmonger. And, uh, every- and then the alt-right, the dirtbag left, the traditional left. Uh, they all agree on that. So it's like, uh, Jamie, like, where does that leave you? Like, it's like you and seven guys in D.C. who are like, once again, people who are getting paid to say this. Shit yes. That, that, this by, is- by like Gulf monarchies who like just like we have a budget for <laughs> propaganda in Washington and that yeah. money's got to be spent or else like one of the one of the more adult uh, princes is just going to blow it on dipping falcons in gold. Or, or, so or you get money. Or they're going to fund another. Uh, pump this shit out. They're going to fund another vice branded festival in the desert. You know, Those yeah, there are two options. But this this centrist position is like you see this in Canada all the time because our media is somehow worse and smaller than yours. Uh, so like with people like Justin Ling or Andrew Coyne or a guy named Max Fawcett, who you probably don't know, but who sucks and is Canadian. Their thing fuck, is like, fuck Fawcett. I'll say it right Fawcett. now. I don't care who, yeah. I don't care who hears it. Fuck maximum Fawcett. Their, their thing is basically like, um, they have a terrible take like this. Everyone yells at them and they say, look, everyone is yelling at me. Right wingers, communists, left wingers. 
Everyone is screaming at me. I am correct. This is the right take. Yeah. And it's a brave position. Literally, ev- everyone hates me. No one takes me seriously. And that, like the, the, the alt-right and like traditional or dirtbag like, Republicans, Democrats, dogs and cats, they all agree that I personally <laughs> suck shit and like don't know what the fuck I'm talking about and, are, and am genuinely a warmonger. Someone who mongers war, wants war, wants more of it, likes it, wants it to happen. So, yeah, who, who's right here? Who can say? I mean... Who can say? Yeah, like... And again, once again, it's like complaining that you got what you wanted. And then like he got what he wanted, but like no one's no one likes you. No one still yeah. everybody it hates does, you. Getting what you getting what he wanted did not shrink his teeth in any way. <laughs> he still got those monstrous chiclets in his head. So uh go going on here, it says as a term of political abuse, warmonger is frequently deployed to assail individuals recommending measures far short of war, like the aforementioned Iran sanctions, NATO enlargement, or human rights promotion. <laughs> I would love it if, like, if every country in the world decided to economically sanction America. Like, how, how <laughs> we'd just be like, oh, well, this is this is far short of war. I mean, dude, Iglesias wants to napalm the Ambassador Bridge because some truckers, some fucking fat assholes, are just camped out there. What do you think would happen if real economic sanctions were imposed on this country by China or Russia or like if, 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 if like if the rest of the world, uh, you know, became if the rest of the world was seriously invested in like sanctioning our human rights abuses, we would like assassinate the leaders of those countries. These are guys who get mad when their Uber Eats order is fucking late, you know, <laughs> and post about it. That's it, just like- so uh, like the aforementioned Iran sanctions and NATO enlargement or human rights promotion. <laughs> NATO enlargement. Yeah, like advertising. <laughs> NATO, enlargement, NATO. <laughs> NATO enlargement are, are, are advertised in the back of uh, the New Republic and Atlantic magazines. Grow your NATO member. Yeah. Take these pills. <laughs> Is your NATO member looking small and ineffective? <laughs> NATO uh, so just getting you're... big dicked by Russia. It's not good. <laughs> Warmonger belongs to the idiom of political propaganda. And like all propaganda, its purpose is not to clarify, but to condemn which is key to understanding its ignoble 20th century pedigree as a pejorative favored by fascists and communists, sometimes speaking in harmony. In the, years, in the years before him, <laughs> we're under attack by commie Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> They're calling me a warmonger. Uh, in the years before American entry into World War II, isolationists frequently hurled the warmonger charge at President Franklin Delano Roosevelt over his support for arming Great Britain against the growing Nazi threat. Mm-hmm. FDR, according to the notorious Father Coughlin, was the world's chief warmonger and the warmonger hireling of the Jews. Whether they know it or not, Roosevelt's critics were echoing Nazi propaganda. Roosevelt's main tool of Jewish Freemasonry, a sensationalist document, reveals connection of the warmonger with the international clique, declared the official newspaper of the National National Socialist German Workers' Party in the summer of 1941. That same year, in what was dubbed the warmonger hearings, a bipartisan group of isolationist senators launched an investigation into the Hollywood's alleged pro-war messaging, a foretaste of the House Un-American Activities Committees that would target communist influence a decade later. So, I mean, again, Jamie, I don't know what you're complaining about here. Um, we yeah. got gotta, 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 gotta suss out all fascist and communist influence, and sometimes you got to call someone a warmonger if you'd like to, you know, uh, purge the government of uh, ideological enemies. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, for the two years that Nazi Germany was allied with the Soviet Union, American communists joined right-wing isolationists in denouncing Roosevelt as a warmonger, only to jettison that line of attack the minute Hitler turned on Stalin. 
But I love this, like, I mean, like what Jamie's doing here with like the the like the 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 Soviet Nazi pact that lasted two years, or the idea that like, hey, did you know that Father Coughlin called FDR a warmonger? This is like this is the centrist neoconservative version of like op-ed writers who were like, uh, I bet you weren't aware that Frederick Douglass, uh, yeah, he was a Republican. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Did you know that the Jim Crow South was actually like uh, the party of the Democrats? He's doing no a fucking, shit, dude. Wow. He's doing a, fa- a fucking Black Ribbon Day, which was, you know, basically invented in Canada. Like the uh, the uh, fascist communist. Uh, th- these two things are indivisible. Two sides of the same coin, you know, uh, the Soviets and their sympathizers in the West applied warmonger to everyone from Churchill picketed at a 1946 speech in Madison Square Garden by me- members of the National Council of American Soviet Friendship. OK, like picketing Churchill in 1946, A, is hilarious. <laughs> yes. And B, if you're calling him a warmonger, you're not calling him a warmonger because he was part of the allied effort against like the uh, Axis fascist powers. It was because like, no, he literally is a warmonger and spent his entire career like killing people for the British Empire. He literally <laughs> mongered war. Yes. You would go around mongering war. So, like, in the context of 1946, like, Jamie's, like, central thrust of his thing that, like, to, to call someone a warmonger means that you're a fascist sympathizer is, like, it completely denuded. Like, World War II, over. Allies won. If you're protesting Roosevelt because he, I mean, sorry, if you're protesting Churchill because he's a warmonger, then it's not because you don't want America to intervene in World War II. You're doing yeah, it. That because, already happened. Yeah, that already happened. Mm-hmm. And you have very good reasons for doing so. Um, it says here, uh, to, to Henry Wallace, the former Progressive Party presidential candidate who later confessed to being a dupe for Soviet totalitarianism, <laughs> like fascist. Uh, Moscow and its fellow travelers used warmonger to describe anyone, essentially anyone, even remotely critical of the Soviet system and its foreign policy. Warmonger was given new lease on life after 9-11, and the response to these <laughs> attacks engendered from Western democracies. Today, virtually any measure undertaken to confront terrorist groups, rogue states, or authoritarian regimes is routinely decried as warmongering by an ideologically diverse assortment of pundits and political actors. Rogue states. This guy is living in the fucking past. Dirt bag left rogue state what year is <laughs> yeah. it for a guy like jamie it's always uh 9 12 <laughs> glenn back the day after will always be 9 12 01 and it's like again everyone is always uh, usually like in the pages of the atlantic or tablet or any of these outlets usually these people are constantly bemoaning political polarization in america and how like everyone is more far apart than they've ever been and everyone's siloed off into these ideological bubbles that hate each other more than ever. I mean, the fact that such a broad alliance of people could all agree that like America is a warmongering country and that we should not be mongering war elsewhere in the world <laughs> would seem to me a, a positive development in terms of like our political culture in this country. But no, to Jamie, this is like the this is this is an existential threat to him and whatever money he's making writing these articles. And, and honestly, you you gotta wonder. Once again, what are you complaining about? All these instances that he's describing. Did any of these accusations of warmongering stop the war from getting mongered? <laughs> no. <laughs> Has any war been thwarted? Any righteous, just, human rights-infused war been stymied because somebody uh, dastardly deployed the warmonger slur? It doesn't sound like it. it sounds like, like dur- you, if you want a war, you get one. Yeah, like dur- yeah during the... During the war in Iraq, like or when the lead up to the war in Iraq and like while it was going on, both in America and all over the world saw some of the largest protests in human history 
of people turning out in the streets to march against this war. And I know for Jamie, the phrase no blood for oil is probably also fascist ideology. But like whatever you want to point at how goofy, like, oh, look at their puppets and signs and how unserious this all is. The fact of the matter is it did nothing to stop the war in Iraq or slow it down even in the slightest. Once again, Jamie got the war on terror. He got the war in Iraq. And he's just mad that no one else feels about it the same way he does. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to hold this razor thin ideological position where everyone is screaming at you saying, shut up, you're stupid. Uh, And you walk down the street and every dog you see barks at you. Every baby uh, (laughs) that you come in contact with just starts bawling. You know, Richard the third shit directly into your eyes. Dogs bark at Jamie as he shambles by. Uh, uh, going on, he says, during the 2016 presidential campaign, supporters of Donald Trump frequently assailed Hillary Clinton as a warmonger for advocating a no-fly zone in Syria intended to defend innocent civilians from Bashar, El- Bashar Assad's barrel bombs. Again, 2016, barrel bombs. Like, this, this guy, this is... He's this is stuck, he's living man. in a fucking time warp, man. Stuck, like, somebody like, needs to everything is <laughs> pull God, out. stuck culture, seriously. Everybody yeah. is just doing circles in a cul-de-sac. Uh, uh, Jamie is like Agent Cooper at the end of Twin Peaks to return. He's just waiting outside Laura Palmer's house going, where am I? You got to take out the cartridge and blow on it. Put it back in. <laughs> Turn it back on. Uh, on the left, Germany's former foreign minister last summer decried NATO exercises as warmongering and saber rattling designed to provoke, provoke Russia. OK, it's one thing to monger war. But to saber rattle, buddy, buddy, that's the one thing you don't do. If you have a saber, keep that shit sheathed and do not rattle it. Are you shaking a scimitar at me? Is that what's happening? Are you wangling your broadsword? In both cases, and in keeping with the terms dishonorable lineage, the behavior of the actual aggressor was conveniently ignored. Indeed, whether employed by communists, fascists, the alt-right, or the isolationist left, what's considered every human being in, 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 in every citizon on the planet. Uh, Who yet consider- somehow doesn't get what they want. Yeah. yeah. Weirdly. So they strange. never are able to prevent any of these wars, even though they are all spouting the same demonic propaganda. They somehow can't, uh, can't prevent it from happening. And yet we still have to be vigilant for some reason. Those who complain most about warmongering are conspicuously silent about the behavior of anti-Western regimes and movements, whether Russia, warmongering in eastern Ukraine, Iran, warmongering in Syria, Hamas, warmongering against Israel, or Venezuela, (laughs) or Venezuela, warmongering against its own people. (laughs) Wow, the worst kind of warmongering. And again, it's like... (laughs) Uh, it's like, okay, Jamie, uh, I can't even get my own fucking government to do something about its, its, its human rights abuses or, or uh, you know, just its anti-democratic practices. What the fuck do you think I'm going to be able to do uh, calling out Syria or Russia against whatever they're doing or Venezuela against their own people? So, like, yeah, you, you have to call out the behavior of these anti-Western regimes because they're authoritarian and don't respect human rights. But if you notice your own government doing the same things that you're equally powerless to stop, they're like, no, 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 you're wasting your effort. You need to, you need to talk about foreign countries that you're not even a citizen of. You, you need to be held accountable for their behavior, not just that of, like, the one that you're ostensibly, like, a member of a democratic body politic. That's right. Uh, calling Last paragraph here. Calling someone a warmonger is, then, a politicized form of the psychological phenomenon known as projection, 
whereby one ascribes <laughs> his own nefarious conduct and motives onto others. By flinging the term at anyone who advocates a muscular response to terrorism and dictatorships. This is so bitchy. This whole thing is just <laughs> bitching. Like, it's... Those who lob warmonger are faithfully carrying on the tradition of fascists and communists. I mean, that's funny because, I mean, like, you could say that <laughs> there are many elements in, the, in Ukraine that are doing very much that same thing. Yeah, even <laughs> even up to and including using some of the same uh, same symbols, uh, some of the same language that's just been. F- but not warmonger, not, which is the worst uh, yes, fascist phrase. Exactly. And they don't use that. So that means they're OK. They can talk about blood and soil, you know, but uh, but let's 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 keep it civil. Right. Let's not call this guy a warmonger. Uh, so yeah, like if you're out there, please, please do not use the word the slur warmonger. Uh, if, if, and actually, if, if if you type it out, like make the uh, the vowels in warmonger asterisks and give absolutely. a content warning before you even just. Dis- actually, I'm a little please, bit, content warning. I'm a little upset that Jamie didn't include a content warning or censor the vile slur uh, w monger. Yeah, use an emoji if you're gonna talk about saber rattling. Just use an emoji. You know, it's yeah. It's there, there's just they, there is a sword emoji. It's called harm like, reduction. <laughs> you do the sword emoji and then the hand waving emoji, and like that, <laughs> that that will. But 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 please use the hand of the race that you're a member of, because like if you use the yellow hand and it's waving and it's rattling the saber, then uh, you were literally uh, also doing fascism and communism at the yeah. same time. Just to educate yourself. Be careful out there. You know. Uh, <laughs> uh, well, I'll, everybody, uh, <clears throat> I hope that this was uh, very useful for folks listening that you keep it in mind and you you keep the his, the ugly history of this word in your mind uh, as you go forward because apparently according to <clears throat> Nick Schifrin uh, uh, from PBS the foreign affairs <clears throat> correspondent the US says that they are now convinced that Putin has already decided to invade Ukraine. Oh. That they're in the process oh, no. of doing it. Oh, no. Oh, no. So there's going to be, uh, there's a possibility that there could be a war to monger. And if that happens, just let people cook, okay? Hey, if people are mongering war, let people enjoy things. <laughs> yeah. That's right, And man. again, don't be a fucking war pooper. Yeah, don't, don't yuck someone else. That's way worse yum. than being a war monger, being a war pooper. Uh, and if you want to talk about Jamie Kerchick, Please use the acceptable phrase "chiclet toothed freak." <laughs> <laughs> instead ah, of there's uh, that old dirtbag left spirit. Instead of uh, uh, back. sword shaker or war liker. <laughs> I mean, that's the funny thing with Kerchik is like, look, I, I know he's offended when people call him a warmonger, but it is unquestionable that, like, in his the output of his his role as like an, as a figure in public life or in the media. I mean, can anyone doubt that this guy likes wars and would wish, wish to see the United States wage more of them? I mean, like, I don't think, would he even deny that? And he's a fan. He's a fan of wars. Matt is exactly right. The fandom is toxic. We need to stop <laughs> policing the boundaries of other people's fandoms. You know, like, if you like Last Jedi, that's okay. You don't need to tell someone yeah. you thought it sucked. Just yeah. let people. If you, if, 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 if you're you, a fan you, of the United Fruit Company going into South America, you know let's let's uh, you know let's get don't it. yuck their yum. Is and what if, it comes and, down. That's it. And again, and crucially, if you're not a fan of the United States escalating military conflict in Ukraine, then keep it to yourself, please. Keep it to yeah. yourself because you don't know. Like there are other people out there on your timelines who really are a fan of that, and it's like you don't want to hurt their feelings, and you certainly don't want to call them a slur. Let's be kind. 
2022 is about kindness. We're all positive hurting. squad. We all we all walk down the street and uh, dogs bark at us, babies cry, toddlers run screaming. You know, we just need to be kind. We need to be kind to the Kirkpatricks of this world, no matter how big their teeth might be. You know. <laughs> Well, there we go. Uh, that's about, just about covers it for today. That's Canada. That's Ukraine. That's warmongers. Uh, Dan, I know, yes. I know you, you're, you're, you're up to a, a bunch of cool things right now. And I think, uh, what is it you said? You got some friends of ours opening for you at an upcoming tour date? Yeah. So um, by popular demand, uh, Wolf Parade fans have been begging me to uh, get a famous podcast, E1, on uh, our upcoming California shows. And I have answered by making that happen. So... If you want to see uh, Charles and Branson and Andrew uh, not play music, but, but uh, <laughs> before, before we get on stage, um, please come to our uh, shows in California. I think two of them are sold out, but yeah, yeah. it's going to be great. That's, that's awesome. But like, you know what they say, when E1 opens her wolf, an audience of people who are there to pay money to see Wolf Parade, this tour, it's Altamont Part 2. Every that's single right. event, someone is getting stabbed I, I to have, death in uh, the audience. <laughs> I have it on good authority that if the audience uh, encourages him, Branson will hoot on a jug. Yeah, there will be jug hooting. So uh, everybody come out and uh, uh, let's go, Branson, is what I'm saying. <laughs> let's go, Branson. <laughs> there we go. That's what we always say. Let's go, Branson, everybody. But uh, that does it for today's show. Dan Beckner, once again, a joy as always to uh, spend some time with you. And uh, we hope to see you in uh, New Orleans when we're yeah. uh, there for our tour. Oh, yeah. We're going to get that etouffee cooking. Hey, man, I'm on assignment here in uh, New Orleans. And I got to tell you guys, we all float down in the bayou. And you'll, <laughs> you'll, yeah. flo you'll float, too. <laughs> take take that as 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 your uh, as as a charge to you, the listener, to come see us in New Orleans. Come see us float with Dan Beckner in New Orleans. So, cheers, everybody. Till next time. Bye bye. Au revoir. Cattle have eyes fashioned of steel I know regardless of how I should feel Everything tanked, no one grew up They sing our Michaels are just out of luck Dead to his hog in spotlight for days Dead to his asking how much it pays On a church view, heaven hasn't heard the news. Brain trouble on its side now, nobody will have to choose. The cattle have eyes fashioned of steel. I know, regardless of how we all feel, it's just a case of ice flow blues, all throwing down on a pair of Only a passing phase Death to this haunting radio waves Speaking for you Speaking for me 
skyline silhouettes are coming in Freight while we decide in 52 Saturdays are here And dead to his namesake 